Hello and welcome back to another episode of X Rental, the video shop show that transports you back to the 90s. Pour yourself a big tall glass of sugar water and settle in as we protect the earth from the scum of the universe. This week we're discussing Barry Sonnenfeld's Men in Black and I'm pleased to say that we're joined by our very own Man in Black. He's the lead singer of Creeper who have just released Sanguivore, a banging new vampire inspired concept album. He's Southampton's finest troubadour, with apologies to Craig David. It's William Von Gould. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. That's an incredible introduction, Brad. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. He didn't want me to um, blag that on the day, so I've had to, like, I, I really sat down with a pen and paper and tried <laughs> yeah. my best there. <laughs> it was really good. I mean, the Craig David bit's my favourite part. Yeah. Me, me, and, me and Craig David are spiritually linked. I have a tattoo of him on my leg. Oh, <laughs> I, is, that, is that for real? That's he for does. real, yeah. He yeah, does. Yeah, oh, can I, can I see it? I'd, I'd love you, to see it. Right, right now? Yes. Let's yeah. just do it, Brad. You can't let's just put it. it out in the air. Oh, he, he, with his headphones on, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, let's, <laughs> I'm trying to get the angles. There was a strange four years in Brad's life where it was just debauchery and no rails, and that was one <laughs> of the results. <laughs> yeah, so, someone bet me that I wouldn't do it. It wasn't Look, he was bet. laughing Someone now. said, if I pay for it, will you get it? <laughs> and you said yes. <laughs> sure, sure. No big deal. It's always had these things happen, isn't it? You know, if someone else is paying for it, you just got to get it done. <laughs> it's rude not to. No. But, Will, let me say, first of all, congratulations on the record. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. It, oh, it, thank you. It, it hasn't left my headphones. Uh, uh, oh. I, so, th- th- I think the highest compliment I can pay you is that if I had even a modicum of imagination or talent, this is the record I'd want to make. So, <laughs> oh, thank you praise. very much. It's very sweet. Thank you. Hi, um, Chris. So, about the record, so a lot of Creeper's work previously has been very cinematic in nature. I know that you're a big film film fan yourself. Um, what really kicked off the inspiration for this record? Because I'm seeing, I'm seeing there's the Lost Boys, I'm seeing Near Dark, I'm hearing Nightmare on Elm Street in places. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I suppose... We we always had an idea to do a, a vampire record on the and the third one. Um, each one's each one of these records has been a big conceptual piece each time around. So we had the third one in mind uh, like years before. Um, so it was building up to how to do it. And a lot of the times on the other records, we'd um, been trying to, to lean into doing uh, more Jim Steinman kind of Bonnie Tyler, these big kind of huge production that they had on those things. But we never found the right guy. And then we met Tom Dalgetty. You did a he just did Ghost, uh, he did Square Hammer and Prequel with the Ghost Records and Ramstein and uh, worked with The Damned and lots of bands that like, we really respected. So it was a really, it was a really great um, matching there where he liked all the same things that we did, basically, these big overblown rock epics. And, uh, and was kind of, at this point, when we met him, was kind of known for making a couple of those. So yeah, we found the right pieces. But in terms of like narratively, um, definitely, certainly near dark. What I'm wearing on stage is basically a near dark cosplay. <laughs> so it's like very much on the money with that. I guess like other films would be like The Hunger with David Bowie, um, like a, the, that a classic vampire film, Interview of a Vampire, um, uh, Let Me In or Let the Right One In. Uh, like a lot of these kind of classic kind of vampire tropes kind of exist in the narrative of this one. Uh, so yeah, quite a few things. If, if anything, like the last record was really influenced by a book called K-Pax. Um, but this one's a little less kind of um, based in like uh, reference from the literary world, more kind of from films. Uh, and when we were writing it a lot of the time, when you're making this stuff, it's 
kind of useful to kind of imagine a scene in in in, in mind. So yeah, a lot, a lot of it's I think it's cinematic by nature because that's kind of what we pictured when we were making it as well. You know, um, I was wondering if you've seen a film called Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon from a couple of years ago. Uh, no, I've never seen that. No, it's a, and it came out a couple of years ago. Um, and when listening to the record, I was like, it's like you've taken the kind of ethos of this entire film, which is a little sleeper hit. Like it's not out there in in the known uh, universe, but I, listening to the record, I was like, this it feels so intrinsically like it's scoring the, this entire film. And it's this beautiful film about, about this young girl who is exhibiting vampiric qualities in this kind of skeezy and scuzzy sort of lost boys esque uh, realm, but kind of like a contemporary reimagining it. So I just ra- ra- wanted to know if you'd, seen it and if not just recommend that maybe you do because i think you'd uh yeah. really get, you'd really get a kick out of it yeah it sounds, sounds like something right out of my street uh it was you know like a, a lot of the kind of relationship with the with, with the young girl mercy that that's on our record uh kind of came um in the last couple of records we made like the two protagonists had been kind of um male and female characters who'd had a, had a, had a, a love interest with each other so this time around we were trying to mix it up a little bit in in terms of we have these two characters for us, which are called Spook and Mercy. And Mercy, I think, maybe is the the, the, is the female character that um, has reminded you of this film, perhaps, Brad, as well. Um, and these two characters in this world, I, I always see them like, uh, you ever seen Leon? Uh, you know, the, the, yeah, so, so in, in a similar sort of vein to something like that, where like one is mentoring the other, but there's a little switcheroo in ours where it's... Um, where Mercy's a lot older than Spook, and is, is, is you know was, was that younger vampire that was turned kind of like in the interview of a vampire, and uh, and yeah, so we have this kind of platonic relationship like that kind of exists throughout it for for, for once, and they're learning how to uh, seduce people in and and, and kind of uh, like 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 seduce others from the outside in and take their lives and <laughs> piece of them and things, but uh, but yeah, absolutely, I'd have to check that film out. It sounds cool. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Because it it does feel very cinematic by nature. The the record, just just listening to it, putting my headphones on for the first time, it 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 did load me up with imagery. You know, very polarizing imagery as well. Because you've just got a lot of the the, the beauty between the relationship between the two, uh, between Spook and Mercy. But it's a very violent record as well. Yeah, it kind of, kind of went that way. I think like uh, it was one of the the um the fun things about this one was like uh. Because all of them have been so different, you know, such different like journeys to, to to make as well. And and the last record we did kind of was born out of a lot of uh, really difficult times in our lives. Like Ian, uh, our guitar player, was uh, um, committed to a, a psychiatric hospital midway through the recording, and so we were doing a lot of writing. Um, I, we were making the record in Los Angeles, and so we were kind of all over the place. And it, and, it, and it kind of the record was very bright in terms of its tone and stuff in the last one, and in terms of its story but it was kind of born from a very dark time. And I think this time around, we're actually a lot more level-headed and there's like a lot more happiness to, to our lives at the moment. We're lots lot more together and our friendship's like the best it's ever been. And so it's, uh, and it's funny because it, what's weird is that like a really good part of our lives has kind of resulted in a really violent, <laughs> like a really dark record. Um, and I, I think maybe that's kind of the, the part of the condition of uh of being an artist as well, you, like, you don't really want to live in a very dark place with your art if you're going through that in, in real life as well. Sometimes I know like you want to write a sad song when you're sad, but I don't think for something like this, it, it really works that way. But um, yeah, like a, like a, a, a big, uh, lots of lots of cinematic influences on on, on the record in, in general. A lot of kind of Brian De Palma like was in our, our music video, the, the last one, a Teenage Sacrifice. Um, 
and it was made by um, Billy Price, who you guys might know from Puppy, if you know that band. Um, yeah, oh, we, yeah. Yeah, we talked with them uh, like years ago, and he's been a, a really great filmmaker. Um, and I've wanted to work with him for ages. And uh, so I just called him up and I said to him, I think, um, I put my brief was, imagine if like Brian De Palma made Jennifer's body, you know, like that's kind of how he needed to look. And uh, and so, yeah, the lot of the violence is kind of, uh, he's, he's managed to synthesize and in kind of picture as well, which has been really cool. And uh, my girlfriend, um, Charlotte, she, um, she works in makeup and stuff as well. So she, she was trained to do special effects at, at, at university. So she did all the gore as well. So it's been a kind of like a little family project. A lot of Collaborative, this, you know? yeah. Um, the gore business, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I know the gore business very well. <laughs> and and it's, it's just from a personal point of view as well, what's re- I'm just really, first of all, really happy to hear that Ian's in a much better place. And you, your guys' relation, relationship, relationship and friendship has always kind of warmed me up inside. So it's, it's awesome to hear that. But also, this is the record that I've always wanted from him as well, where he finally gets to wail on the guitar. So that's that's delightful from my point of view. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been really funny this time around, you know, because like this one's been so different. And we were like listening to like the second Danzig record and, uh, you know, like a lot of Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest and stuff like that around this yeah. sort of time. And I said, oh, now's the time. You've got to, got to uh, bring out your Metallica roots, you know, like, and it's been really fun because he's just been shredding across it. And sometimes it would be cool because the way we'd write songs in the past when we were kids and stuff was uh, you'd sit down and, you'd, and we'd have four chords and, and or, or something that I would have started and he, we'd, we'd finish together. And this time around, he'd been written, he'd written kind of complete pieces that had com- like, like a riff, like a, a riff was the main hook of the song. And we'd never done that with our band before. And so it was a bit of a learning curve to try and work out what to do on my end. I was like, shit, how do I do this? So, uh, so that was really fun too. So it's, it's been really cool. He's, I, I'm so impressed with his work on the record. It's uh, it really, um, really came through with lots of really cool stuff. You know. Yeah, I think the whole he, is, he is now your Shreddy Kruger. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. Um, so I mean, as get again, congratulations on the record. Uh, for, for anyone who listening to all of that is now expecting this really heavy, violent record, you're like, you're, it's going to surprise you because. I think especially the Jim Steinman element really, really kind of shines through and it's a, a surprisingly uplifting. It's record. triumphant. Yeah, yeah, given uh, the level of violence. And I also appreciate it as someone who knows you through the punk and hardcore scene of the mid to late 2000s, really enjoyed the little <laughs> two-step moment that appeared on one of the tracks that people will soon hear. <laughs> I think it's kind of hard to, to, to uh, you know, as much as we try to progress on every now and again, little bits like that just come out, you know, Um and uh, it's it's funny, like the, the punk stuff on this record that we had, the, the, the punk elements in this, like it was one of those things where we're trying to shake some more of the contemporary parts of the band away. And so, uh, so even the punk parts are kind of, they're more like the damned or like the, the oh, cramps or, 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 or like uh, the type of negative, you know, some of their faster songs, stuff like that kind of more uh, than we've done in the past. But those elements are always kind of part of us, you know, it kind of we can't help but, uh, but do it regardless of what we're doing. It kind of always seeps in somewhere. And I will forever be delighted by that. <laughs> but I mean, we've spoken about all of the influences on the record, but where did these influences come from? So you, when you were younger, what's your video shop origin? I mean, what, 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 what was it like? What was it called? Were you allowed to rent naughty films before being 18? Yeah, so I, I have vivid memories. Uh, so it was, it was uh, there was two near me. Uh, and the, the one I most remember was a blockbuster. Um, and I almost got a job at this blockbuster um, at the end. I was 
I, it was the time when I was doing our time down here and I moved back home very briefly to my dad's house in Waterlooville. And it was at the end of the street. And I was just doing all these shit, you know, all these shitty jobs you do when you're just touring back then. Like I would yeah. like, I was Domino's pizza for a couple of months and I, and I, I was doing door to door sales and I, I was selling paintball in Cascades, this shopping center and, and this shit like that. And uh, what I almost had this good job. It was right at the end, right as the band was breaking up because the way that band broke up, my, this is my old band, everyone wanted to go and progress on. And I was like, I probably should stop messing around and being in a band and go and get a job. And so I applied for all these things. And one of them was Blockbuster. But they got back to me just as I got my call center job. So I didn't go. But anyway, that's a long story short. And so I all, very almost had my dream job of working in a call center. But uh, sorry, sorry, in, in, in a Blockbuster. Not I was going to say, that's you a... did work. You did. That dream became a reality. <laughs> There's a little a short it's album number four there. <laughs> I completed my dream. Call center Frankenstein. At, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a great exploitation flick. <laughs> I uh, <watch> it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, but that was my that was my kind of go to. And they, the great thing about Blockbuster is uh, at, at the time, I think you could rent three at a time. And we well, we don't have to do it all the time. It's expensive. Did you remember? Like we have this romantic vision of what uh, what it was like, but it was so expensive to rent uh, videos, really. Uh, yeah, when you, when and you went I, into the blockbuster mode, it was very much a case of it jumped from 10. like the local places were like one pound fifty or like three for yeah. five, and then you got to blockbuster. It was like, oh, hang on, we we've gone corporate. Mm. Three for ten. I I always liked uh, in blockbuster the the kind of backstage blockbuster you could see. You know, like it was a, it was that wall of tapes, and I always remember thinking. If you worked here, you just watch films all day long, you know, like, of course. But, like, what do you think there was uh, in a blockbuster video store? Do you think there was a certain type of film you had to watch? Do you have to play the new releases or could you just put on anything? It's not going to be like high fidelity where you can just play whatever record you want, you know, like, a, or an independent uh, video store. I wonder what the situation was there. And I'll mm. never know now because well, Brad, I missed no. my opportunity. Brad will be able to answer, <laughs> I think. Oh, Brad, oh. Were, you, were you a blockbuster guy, were you? I did my work experience at Blockbuster Video back in the day when I said I okay. wanted to work in the film and TV industry and they were like, Blockbuster sounds about your level, son. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you don't get a choice over what goes on the TV screens. A lot of the times it's trailers, forthcoming attractions, those sort of things. Um, but they do have similar to sort of like high fidelity, like a knowledge test, right? Because I know like, the, the, isn't there like these rules of like rough trade have the same sort of thing where you have to like know stuff in order to get a job there you need to be like cinema or musically literate so that if people come in and say i'm looking for a screwball comedy what could you recommend that you'd have recommendations rather than just going i don't know right uh, i i i don't know I, I used to look at hmv for a bit and we had a similar sort of thing where like you had to like they were like oh what's your favorite what's your top favorite films in the interview and uh, stuff like that but like, was it a similar sort of thing? What, what did you say? What was your top favorite films when you uh, back in that time? Well, think? the thing is, I wasn't technically a, a, a sort of, I was only 15. So I was only, I wasn't, <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> so I'm like, Jungle Book. <laughs> oh no, I was, I was watching. Jungle Book. <laughs> I was like, it was Biodome, Freaked, <laughs> Night of the Roxbury. And let's be honest, you've not progressed much further beyond that. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still right there. I've got that's a Tammy and a T Rex poster right there. That's a great film. If you have never seen that one, that's a recommendation. Great film. It's still very so, much Viva Los Biodomes in the uh, Hanson household. It is, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen Biodome for years, but like, yeah, like it's funny thinking about that. I, I'm very intrigued to know about your work experience, really. But I know that you've probably spoken about this lots on this podcast already. I imagine that's probably. A, 
A smidge, yeah. It's best if I'm kept quiet until absolutely necessary. <laughs> um, but it, it was, uh, it was. I, I got to rent some great films for the two weeks that I was there, and it was, uh, you know, there was a, a Papa John's next door. You could get a pizza for one ninety nine on lunch. It was just, you know, it was halcyon days. You could write an album about that as well, I imagine. It sounds like a Weaker Than's album, though. You know, like it doesn't sound like something oh, my yes. band might do. No, um, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, um, I, I want to hear that Creeper Weaker Than's record. <laughs> I, I would love that, too. I love the Weaker Than's. Um, um, I'm trying, I was trying to think before I, uh, I, I, I started with you guys. Uh, what I remember, I remember my dad just renting films and like them having like Point Break. You know, like that seemed to, like you seemed to rent that all the time. Then after a while, you just wonder why you didn't buy it. Um, but Point Break um, and uh, from Dusk Till Dawn and like like the, the, this is the sort of era like I, I can remember the blockbuster the most in because they used to have been um, um, they used to have been video games as well like Sega Mega Drive cartridges and stuff as well so I used to do, do that quite a lot a bit as well um, st- I remember they had Street Fighter uh, no um, Streets of Rage three which no one seems to have played everyone played the first two but anyway that's not what this podcast is about but uh, but yeah I remember it's, vividly it's about those whatever two, you want um, will. <laughs> It's about reliving media of all form, as long as it's in physical format. That's what we're well, championing. Well, yeah, I, I remember very vividly uh, renting uh, Mega Drive games, the Spider-Man game. I remember renting from there. But like the, the great thing about um, renting films from Blockbuster when, when you were a kid, and all of this, and maybe this is part of the reason you guys are doing this podcast and have this obsession with this older stuff too, is that when you had three days to enjoy these films you had to enjoy them you try and watch them more than once you know like because you're trying to get your money's worth out of doing it and uh in the same way that when you went to a record store as a kid and you bought a record you'd and, and you had a discman or whatever you only had a limited amount of records you could listen to and i guess the whole uh, problem these days is that you can listen to whatever you want watch whatever you want and i guess maybe you pay a little less attention um because I don't know how many times i've seen point break now like because <laughs> he has watched it all the time because it was always at my house but uh, I don't know. Is, is that something that you guys, uh, that, that's kind of part of your podcast a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, first of all, the answer to uh, how many times to watch Point Break is too many times. There's always one less than the amount you've watched it. So you keep watching it because it's eternal. <laughs> I've still never seen it. What? Have you not? Flying no, fuck? I've never seen it. No. My friend told me the other day that it's not aged very well. But, oh, uh, your, and, your friend's and they a big liar. It? <laughs> they did they remake it. it as well yeah 2015 yeah. i did see the remake so that makes you feel any better it doesn't I, no i'm very i'm very intrigued to, to, to see what you thought of the remake brad oh the remake's absolutely fucking terrible yeah uh, <laughs> smelly stinky the problem, film the problem with the remake is that they kind of did a pseudo remake of point break with the first fast and the furious film and then the point break remake just felt like a remake of fast all of the fast and the furious films all at once <laughs> So it's just it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. We've spoken about vampires. We've spoken about uh, the, the, the Brian De Palma. Why Men in Black? Oh, because that's the film I saw the most ever when I was a kid. I was completely obsessed with Men in Black when I was a kid. I was a big, I mean, I always have been a big alien guy anyway. The first book I ever read was by Timothy Good. It was called Alien Base. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a non-fiction book about aliens. And, uh, it came, Men in Black came out around a time where VHS was a big thing, and uh, and I just watched it every day. I was trying to think of something that like was the, my most watched film when I was a little kid, and I think it was Men in Black. I watched it 
endless amounts. I could probably recite the script. That's how many times I wore the video out with the buy a new, a new, new uh, tape. Um, so yeah, that is a film that really reminds me of that time. And I thought it also, it was probably not what you were expecting me to say, um, which I also thought was good as well, you know, like trying to keep you on your toes out as well. <laughs> Absolutely. We were, we were banked. We were like, right, Bram Stoker's Dracula, sold, done, easy. <laughs> No problem. And then I'm like, fuck, where have I, where's Men in Black available to stream? So, <laughs> but I got to, I got to relive Men in Black again for the first time in probably 10 years, which was, was really nice. Yeah, how me, did you find it looking back? I'll cut in just quickly. For me, it was the first time since it was released on the 1st of August, 1997. The same month saw the world's oldest person, Jean Calment, pass away at the age of 122 passing on her title to Mary Louise Millier. Bret Hart defeated The Undertaker at SummerSlam to win the WWF Championship belt, thus uh, winning his title. And, oh, God, yes, we get it. Princess Diana died. Well, this is I... the... Uh, there's a lot of August 97s in this season so far. <laughs> and he can't he can't leave her alone. He has to bring her up. Barely anything else happened that month. Well, could you find anything? God, God. I I'm so sick of you mentioning her. It's driving me <laughs> mad. The royalists are up in arms in the comment section. Royalists be damned. I've got to say, I'm going to jump in straight away with my opinion, is that first of all, I always held a grudge against this film because uh, when I was younger, when going to the cinema, I could only afford to go and see one film a month with my pocket money. And it was my friend's birthday and we had the choice. It was either Men in Black or Jurassic Park, The Lost World. And me being a massive Jurassic Park fan, he picked Men in Black. So I've kind of resented it for the longest time and I've never really dug it. So you picked it and I was like, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my pal's coming on and I don't want to like rip into a film that is obviously because I played such a big part of his childhood. So I put it on and I really liked it. <laughs> I just would have 180 completely. It's really good. <laughs> It's it's surprisingly good. I think it holds up really well, and I think um, I think it kind of like I think that the, the the sequels that came after it are awful they're, they're, as, as these things go. And I was about to say like Jurassic Park, like I Lost World. I love the first two Jurassic Park films; they're all they're all great. But they were notably it was one of those things where it's not like Ghostbusters, where the second Ghostbusters film's probably better than the first one, uh, like, debatably. But, uh, he, no, he's right. He's he is right. Oh, okay. the, second, but, the second one is better. But that, 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 that's just, you know, that's my, my, my thoughts on Ghostbusters. But the, I, I always felt like Jurassic Park, the, as soon as they, as soon as the dinosaurs escaped, it's like the, the, the book's over, you know, like it's yeah. like, oh, the dinosaurs have escaped. Uh, but like, I, I, I do like the, the, the second two. Um, it's funny. I'm about to go to university. I'm going on holiday to, to Florida with my girlfriend. And so we're about to go to Universal Studios and they have, have you ever been to the Jurassic Park ride in the Universal Studios? Um, yeah, it's time. very big old time. now. They're, it's very old. All the animatronics is kind of they've just changed it. Now, around. They? They've just redone and the that, whole thing. That's in um in California. Uh, they have two. The the, the OG. Oh, I can tell you some facts about this actually. So Steven <laughs> Spielberg it, at, at the time they they'd worked the, the ride out before they'd written uh, they'd written the film. They done they made the film. So the, the book was written by Michael Crichton. But uh, the, they 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 made the they had the plan for the ride before they had the plan for the film set out. And the ride cost more than the film cost to make. <laughs> That's two facts. Also, Steven, Steven Spielberg used to ride it, and at the top of the lift hill, he had to get out. He got out. He wouldn't do the, the drop every time. Oh, so, yeah. it's the best he bit. is a coward. He's a coward. 
but yeah, I don't know why I'm talking about Jurassic. Oh yeah, so Men in Black. Um, so no, that, that's yeah, how this I... podcast goes. Is don't worry. Are the don't worry. One. <laughs> yeah. Happens all the so, time. So yeah, it's um, it, like I've always thought Men in Black. I think it's still really funny, and I, I think that it's um, all of the, the Rick Baker like uh, animatronics are like incredible. Especially the, the alien in the head. That whole scene rings like always like. Uh, it was a massive thing for me growing up. That's the coolest animatronic ever, that little alien. But um, yeah. yeah. That was Lurch as well, wasn't it? From Adam's Family. Is that right? Yeah, it's the same I actor. Thought it was the... Oh, no, no. Isn't no, it the no, giant from Twin Peaks? Guy. I'd know him as Lurch because Barry oh, Sonnenfeld did the Adam's Family movie as well. Oh, so yeah. He's the, the tall guy. He's also the, the one who's Twin in the queue. Yeah, Twin Peaks, yeah. It's the giant from Twin Peaks. That's what everyone the knows. Giant, the giant, it's the, it's the, it is the giant from Twin Peaks. As well. And he's also in Big Fish, if you've ever seen that. Big film. Fish, yes. yeah. He is. He is. Yeah. He is. But the interesting thing about the, the practical effects, which I, I think are unreal, and it's all Insane, the more frustrating yeah. that the some of the issues I have with the film still to this day um, is that final showdown at the end of the film, is that um, Rick Baker and his entire team created an entire animatronic enemy uh, and they decided to go for the CGI instead. Now, the interesting fact, which uh, I feel like the statutory of rights has gone enough time now that I can't get in trouble for this, is the uh, the work print of this film made its way round my school. So I've seen the Rick Baker shot. What? And it's so much better than the CGI. And I still can't believe to this day they that's the route that they took. That must be online somewhere, right? We've got to be able to find that somewhere. I mean, this was like the days of pirate video. So it was a case of someone copied it, someone copied it, someone copied it. So eventually it was borderline unwatchable. Um, <laughs> but yeah, by the time we got it, it, it was the the animatronic cut and they ended up picking the CG cut. Because I remember when I saw it, uh, I saw it in the cinema first and then watching the pirate video of it and thinking, well, hang on a minute, that looks better than I remembered. Nearly 30 years later, I'm, <laughs> we're recording this podcast. I'm like, Oh, so they did change it. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That scene at the end, I, I, I know what you mean. I think obviously CGI, uh, CGI was still a bit dodgy back then as well. Like, it wasn't quite where it is now. No. But uh, I, I, and, and also practical effects are always better, aren't they? Look at the. I think that's honestly. I think that like, have you guys seen the uh, going back to Jurassic Park? Have you seen Jurassic World? Have you seen any of those films? Yeah. 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 I, <laughs> um, I, so I think one of the, the the main problems with that, like I mean, there's there's plenty, but like uh, one of the main ones is there's just so much CGI. And what made the the first Jurassic Park so compelling was for me at least was those incredible the, the blend of the animatronics and the CGI. And they said that they were using big, but they, they they didn't make a giant animatronic in the same way that the T Rex scene, the really famous one in in the rain, you know. That was a giant T-Rex. And like interacting with that always seems better. I know that's, that's this is an old hat. Uh, like it's old hat, isn't it, this conversation? Because everyone says the same thing. We always would prefer practical effects. But well, it's true. Because um, the, the lighting changes. Um, the, the, the performances change. You're not performing to a tennis ball. You're performing to something which is tangible in front of you. Um, and it gets better performances. And also I always find with the practical effects is, is it encourages more imagination from the filmmakers themselves I mean, as you said there's, I mean obviously it wasn't CG but with Jaws the fact that the shark broke yes, that's yeah. why the shark was withheld for two thirds of the film um, you get uh, really interesting things like with this one Vincent D'Onofrio um, he, he did lots of um, research around insects how insects moved and what he decided was to have his knees strapped which is why it looked, to, to essentially replicate what it would look like if a giant bug was 
trapped in this smaller body. So that's why he walks like a bug, which is trying to hold itself within some a, a smaller container and not burst out. That's so cool. It encourages really, really cool stuff like that. Um, did you guys ever watch the cartoon series when it aired in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, and I, I guess it's all canon, right? I suppose. Yeah, like, I it, so. it, it, it's weird. I like, I, I don't know. Like, like it, uh, I, I think I had some, a couple of the VHSs of that as well when I was young. I was such a huge fan because they came in like an action figure line as well, the animated mm. series. Uh, and I had some of those. I know that for sure. From a musician standpoint, what, where do we stand on the theme song? Do we like it? Do we like <laughs> Men in Black? Well, uh, can you sing um, a bit for us? Um, I, 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 you, I used to know the entire rap for it when I was a kid. I could, I could, I could like, you know, when I was a kid, I could rap the whole thing. The theme song is amazing. And the video is great as well, right? The, the video is, is brilliant. Um, I, I feel like most of those Will Smith, isn't it, isn't it a different song that Will Smith sampled? Uh, like, does anyone know that? Does it, it, is anyone got information it on is. that? Oh, it's God. Send you forget me nuts. Yeah, that that's song, what it is. Isn't, yeah. Shaka Khan or someone like that. I don't. Yeah, you might have to cut that because that probably isn't who it is. But no, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not Shaka Khan. Uh, Stevie Wonder was Wild Wild West, and I'm I'm blanking on the artist's name for Men in Black. But there was all there was that point where Will Smith was contractually obliged to write the theme tune for every sing the theme tune. <laughs> and, and sing the theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what that was, Bradley. Um, Do you not remember that? that's from like? A, isn't that from like League of Gentlemen? It's, it's from Little it? Britain, I think. Little Britain. Oh, he's outed, him, he's outed himself as a racist. Twenty <laughs> <laughs> years ago, come on, statute limitations and all that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, my one of my issues with the film still is Will Smith. Um, even though I really like him, because this came. So he had Bad Boys in '95. And he was still kind of trying to figure out who he was as an actor because the big starring point was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which everyone, or me and all of my peers, The Simpsons into Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was your afternoon after school. And then he was doing stuff like Six Degrees of Separation and, and Bad Boys. He was kind of trying to find where he was. And I think he's good in this film, but I feel like I would have preferred a slightly more dialed back character um, because it is so reminiscent of those 80s buddy cop films like uh, Midnight Run, uh, to an extent Beverly Hills Cop. I would have yeah, liked a was... more Charles Grodin. Not, not, so I would have liked a more Robert De Niro to Charles Grodin uh, dynamic than Will Smith's essentially, he he fills every silence throughout the entire film. There's never a moment of of, of taking a beat because he's just... Oh, yeah, uh, fucking, I know, I know that. I know that fucking feeling very well. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, I've had 10 episodes of this fucking shit. <laughs> the irony of you critiquing a man while that is literally the only thing you ever do. So I feel like it's coming from a place of uh, knowledge and being able to critique. You've lived, you're living your truth, aren't you? You're living I am. Truth. <laughs> this is so, my truth. Tell me yours. I mean, I... I would argue that he had done Independence Day before this, so he'd been able to anchor so. as a leading man. Uh, so I think, yeah, maybe he's a little bit too wacky, um, but I think that's beautifully offset by Tommy Lee Jones's performance, which I think is remarkably good mm. for the film that he's in. He um, he really emboldens the character in a in a in that kind of surly way, but with a heart, you know, they say strip of a heart gold, but this is a surly guy with a heart gold, bless him. Yeah, I, I always felt like it was, uh, obviously, uh, Tommy's the, the straight guy, you know, like Kay's the straight guy, like, like he's, 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 he's a straight man to, to, to play up against, you know, 
and you've got like uh, I, but, but I, I suppose I had a story about uh, Will Smith in this where um, he was offered the Matrix uh, later on but he was like I've already done two two alien films like so it's two supernatural paranormal films or whatever um, sci-fi films that's, well, that's the term I'm looking for um, <laughs> two sci-fi films so I don't want to do it and he said oh it was the biggest uh, mistake he'd ever made because think about you know that, imagine seeing how do you two think that Will Smith would have fared in a film Terrible. like The Matrix. Terrible. <laughs> Bad. Bad. I'm glad he stuck with The Legend of Bagavance, which is what he did instead. Yeah. Which was is that terrible. right? Yeah. He's got terrible. a history, isn't he? He turned down Django Unchained as well. Because he didn't think oh, Django really? he didn't think Django was the main character. Okay. But, Look at the title. What, what do you guys think about that the, the, the Chris Rock slam? I knew that was that felt like the next natural progression there, wasn't yeah. it? Poor Ooh. poor decision making. What do you think about when he came up on the stage and slapped someone? Um <laughs> It's funny. I thought it was funny. It was kind of a bit of a dick move on all parts. I thought Chris Rock's joke, I mean, it's 2021, 2022 it was, sorry. Um, we're making G.I. Jane jokes, a film which yeah. had no cultural impact when it was released in, what, 1996? 97? Between Something 96 like and two. Probably when Princess Diana died. Yeah, probably. I'd imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> So another character or another performance I'd like to talk about is obviously Vincent D'Onofrio's performance. I know we touched on it recent a minute ago about his um, his physicality, but I've got to say that I think he's the kind of linchpin performer in this that kind of makes the film so eminently watchable is just how good a performance he manages to get in habit, inhabiting that sort of creature-esque performance. And I was just wondering your feelings. Oh, I'm here to see a man about a cat and there's the cat. <laughs> The cat is here. They've, they've, they've arisen. The beasts have arisen. Um, and what beautiful music they make. Uh, they are around. There's two of them. They're, they're swarming. They're, they're, you might see the other one in a second as well. I'm not sure. So sorry. Yeah, yeah we, we might see Orion's case, belt. Orion's belt around one of their necks, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. The body is on. The, 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 the galaxy is on. Orion's belt. Sorry, carry on. What was the question again? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was basically just saying like how good Vincent D'Onofrio is in his performances the big bad in this film and i just think his physicality and everything is so what make what makes the performance so good is how well he manages to perform those kind of freakish unholy otherworldly sort of movements and just how i feel like he's the kind of linchpin of the film that kind of progresses it forward because every time he's on screen he's so eminently watchable i was wondering uh, absolutely yeah um well uh, what sticks out to me straight away is uh, as you drink that like is the sugar water you know like uh, uh, <laughs> uh but yeah that, I, I guess um that's uh that that scene when they're going going back after the, the ufo crashes in, outside the house that seems incredible but it, i guess it, it like again i would kind of go back to the bit where um at the very end uh where they had that incredible miniature uh of, of the ufo crashing through um the New York World's Fair, uh, New York Pavilion, uh, and and but, but as he's climbing the top of that with with, with, with on, on his back and stuff, even the way he speaks it down to down to uh, down to his, his tone of voice and everything, it's incredible, isn't it? He's a kind of yeah, I guess he's the uh, an ultimate movie movie baddie, isn't it? It's kind of like a a monster of the week sort of character. Uh, but yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah, he's he's absolutely like one of the best films about it. Another thing I wanted to ask you about was. You know, when they're in Men in Black's headquarters and they're like, all these people you see on screen are aliens and you see all these famous people, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, in the, and in the second one, we get Michael Jackson coming in and oh, being Jackson. like, put, yeah, put, put me on the case. I was wondering if uh, you would like to hypothesize who you think could be an alien 
thought you were in trying to get him culture. to admit. I'm not. Well, was... Listen, I'm not going to get the world exclusive. <laughs> Will Gould is a fucking alien. I'm not going to get that. But I was wondering if who who you think is uh, maybe in the in the rock and metal world, perhaps. Who who oh. do you think is an alien? I don't know. I, I you know who I maybe not in rock and metal, but like in terms of uh, have you do you, either you guys follow Yuri Geller on uh, on on Twitter? It's not Twitter anymore. It's called X, isn't it? But um, but yeah, Yuri Geller is very uh, is very much uh, he's very into aliens as well. He, he posts a lot of kind of his uh, his findings. He's really good friends with a guy called Whitley Stryber who wrote like a book called Communion, which is a really famous UFO oh. book. But uh, the other day, he, uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, he posted this thing the other day, this picture of uh, this being um, that Willie Schreiber sent him. And it, it was really funny. He posted it and the, the, the caption, uh, my girlfriend read it so many times because she kept laughing at it. And it was like, you could tell this is a real one because it's really a prominent vagina. <laughs> so, I, I did see that. Really I did it's see so, that. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, it's so good. Uh, so yeah, like, but Yuri Geller is, is posting more and more stuff like that. And when you look at him, he looks a little bit, you know, he looks like he could be an alien a little bit as well. You think and the, call, the call's abilities. coming from inside the house? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you can only bend so many spoons before you start arousing suspicion, you know? Exactly. Um, so, he was also you know my Jackson's should... mate as well. <laughs> exactly, they're all, they're all tied in together, aren't they? Um, you know who we should get on the case to crack this? Danny Dyer. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, have you seen that? It's so funny. The, One the of them's got a big fucking nut. <laughs> this one's in his kitchen. It's so good. I'm actually going to see him in conversation in two weeks' time, oh, and I am good so Lord. I'm so excited to see Danny Dyer in conversation. Oh, it's God. so funny. It's funny that you asked who would be an alien, and yet if we flipped around and say who's definitively not an alien, the number one on that list is Danny Dyer. Danny Dyer. <laughs> Danny Dyer can't be an alien. He can't be an alien. No, no, absolutely not. It's, it's an There's impossible... no skinwalking going on there with, with no. Danny Dyer. That is. That is pure East London meat. Grit. <laughs> he, he's uh, obviously most known for his um, his tweet about nine eleven. Oh God! Those, that, what them slags did. <laughs> That's insane, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. Oh, it's like my dad. My dad's always like, if I had five minutes alone with Putin, I'd sort him right out. <laughs> but dad, you're like sixty seven, mate. <laughs> I don't know if you can sort uh, out your own dinner. <laughs> the leader of the Russian I think we, I think we, sh- we should let your dad take take some charge of that. Someone's got it, you know? Some, someone's really got to grab on, it by the... I think we need don't to get your dad on the podcast, to be honest. Nah. <laughs> My mum's the one. My mum's the content farm. Dad's boring. We don't we don't want dad, but we'll your get mum on. dad just tried to offer out Putin. I feel like he's not that boring at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't sound boring. <laughs> That's the most interesting thing about him. What, whilst, we're, whilst we're on the subject of aliens, I want to see if I can get a little scoop here because I might surprise uh, Will with my... I usually have a terrible memory, but sometimes a little a little, a little nugget stays in there. Are we ever going to get yours and Ian's alien musical? Well, the, this is the problem with it? it. Yeah, well, Ian, Ian wasn't involved in it. It was before I knew Ian. Uh, so it's my, oh, it my little thing. But a lot, a lot of the songs were chopped up uh, and we reused some of the choruses for for Creeper songs. So that's how Ian's involvement came from, kind of salvaging the bit, like getting rid of all the all, all, all the shit and kind of taking the good bits across. So, but I would love to. It was called Cosmic Love, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like it was quite well developed, I think, at the time. But like, I probably would write it better now. Um, 
and it was about a boy who fell in love uh, with a with a, a female who was an alien, uh, of course. And uh, it was about there was a great number in the middle um, where he met a, a, a scientist, and um, they sung all about had loads of Betty and Barney Hill references and uh, all of this UFO stuff, all this UFO lore in there. Um, I just steer it back to Men in Black. That's one of my favorite things about Men in Black. It's all the little references to uh, to, to UFO lore and stuff. Events, you know, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. I feel like also Sorry, if you were writing it now, there'd be more focus on the uh, prominent vaginas as well at this point. <laughs> there would be one big gash I, song, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I'd have to work out what rhymes with vagina, you know, and that that's never something that's crossed my mind before. Nothing could be got finer. Any suggestions? Nothing <laughs> could be finer than a bit of alien vagina. <laughs> writes itself, doesn't it? It, it really? writes itself, yeah, <laughs> oh. it does. It's it's all of a sudden become a PR disaster. (laughs) (laughs) This one's getting next. This one's not coming out. Um, (laughs) Speaking of which, I was wondering if you had access to the neuralizer technology, what would you like to erase from human history or the yeah the minds of human history? Is there anything you'd like to erase? Maybe it could be a previous creeper track you're not so proud of anymore. It's up to you. Yeah, I, I, I probably we did a Christmas record that uh, I wasn't very proud of because uh, I was kind of my arm was kind of twisted, and uh, there was an EP around Christmas time, and I really regret doing it. It's blemished in my, in my life. Um, I, I would certainly uh, give it the Christmas record, and um, that's great. Uh, and also, I had a really bad time on Warp Tour, uh, and uh, I really didn't enjoy that tour very much. And it put me off touring a little bit for a while, even though I had to tour because it's my job. So, uh, yeah, like it, it, I had a really rough time and uh, I still feel the ramifications from it today, really. So uh, I'd probably erase, I, I'd use it on myself, you know, I'd set it up and turn it around and just erase Warp Tour for me. And the Christmas record. So, like, those are the two things in my life that I'd like to forget. <laughs> my list is too long, unfortunately. I've just got to live with the consequences of the things I've done. <laughs> You, you you start to cross into that the neuralizer becomes dementia at that point just that that level of personality. I'd forget how to breathe. Yeah, there's there's not much there's not much of me that I'm proud of. Uh, oh, this is sad. I, 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 Don't worry, I'll save lot, it for the therapist. Don't worry about it. There's lots of stuff I'm proud of Brad of. He just needs to just accept the fact that underneath all that crime <laughs> and misery and dirt, he's a nice lad. <laughs> Nice and, and some and some sometimes the the podcast isn't really in some ways the podcast isn't really about films at all it's about the friends we made along the way isn't it you know Absolutely. It's, it's, it the is. ones that we've picked up on the bottom of our shoe over twenty years that's me mate that's me that's me unfortunately I forget Jaws so I can watch it again for the first time do you think that's uh, what you do yeah I mean there's not a lot of stuff I'd but for better or worse this, this stuff is what makes you who you are doesn't it yeah <laughs> I'd probably I'd probably erase the Suspiria <laughs> remake just for my own personal. Oh, I probably actually, yeah, I'll erase the Suspiria remake as well, so I can watch it and retell Brad that I like it more than the original. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> Whoa, yeah. really? You like it more than the original? I, I do, and I like He's the original. A fucking Philistine. He's a Philistine. Will was fantastic. Don't I get me started. <laughs> Disgusting. But then again, I am the biggest proponent of the Wicker Man 2006 remake, so. You know. The bees, the bees. Yeah, not the bees. Without a hint of irony, it's no, one yeah. of your favourite films. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this is insane. I mean, I haven't seen it for a long time. Maybe I should re-watch it, Brad, on your recommendation. If, if, if anything comes out of this, if it's not to promote your record in any way, 
it's that you watch the Wicker Man 2006 remake because honestly, <laughs> if you look at it as an absurdist black comedy about gender roles, it's very, 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 very good. Well, I had to rewatch it in that lens, I think. You got it's all about reframing things, isn't it? You could reframe the Christmas album, maybe <laughs> as well. Maybe, maybe there's a way of positively spinning it. I don't know. I want to. What's your success rate on your Wicker Man 2006 conversion? What's the success rate of of, of converting people? Uh, fifty fifty. I'll take fifty fifty on it. Solid, solid. It's better than you'd expect, isn't it? Yeah. Did you guys want any anything else that you wanted to raise about Men in Black? No, I, I just think I think to summarise, it's uh, it's one of those films. I think it's endured, and I think it kind of still is uh, relevant in pop culture. I think it, they, they have, again they have the Men in Black ride in Universal Studios, uh, where they've made a replica of that building. But I think. It's still, when I think about New York, every time I go to New York, I think about Men in Black because of all those the landmarks that were there. Um, and I think that it's a, it's kind of like a buddy comedy, isn't it, really? Like, you know, like, like you know, a weird way, a supernatural one. Um, and I think there's it, it's got great animatronics, got great performances. Um, and for, like, a, a film as silly as that, it um, it takes its subject matter kind of seriously in a weird way. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and I've always really appreciated that. Yeah, I think its its peculiarity sets it apart from the blockbusters that we get now, uh, alongside yeah. the fact that it's ninety seven minutes long. That is wonderful. That's beautiful. This film is tight as anything. <laughs> it, it, tight it, as fuck. Everything you need is in the first twenty five <laughs> minutes of this film, and then the rest of it, you know where you are. It's caper time, baby. Oh yes. Oh <laughs> yeah. Let, let me ask you two a question. So, um, on, on uh, riffing on what you just said there, Ash, what do you think uh, is the closest comparison for a film for Men in Black these days? So um, I was actually I was just thinking about this while you were asking, and the closest comparison is not a very good film, but it's R.I.P.D. that was made yeah, in twenty thirteen. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, and I fucking hate that movie. The the only interesting thing that ever came out of me seeing that movie was I saw it at Fright Fest in London, twenty thirteen. At the weren't you there as well? I was sat next to you. That'd be it. And <laughs> two people got kicked out at the back of the cinema because they were like wanking and fingering each other off at the back of the the cinema. Do you remember this, Ash? Yeah. And it's a really a big... horny film. Well, not really, no. no. Unless you like Jeff Bridges, <laughs> old Jeff Bridges. <laughs> it's, it's 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 not not good, but yeah, that's probably the closest we've come. I, get, I think again with with Marvel and things like that, everything there isn't so much um, a a genre pick of that scale gets made anymore yeah. because everything has to hit all bases. It's got to have a little bit of action, a little bit of horror, and a little bit of comedy, and a little bit of romance, and everything's got to tick multiple boxes which ultimately makes so many of the blockbusters now you know jack of all trades master of none really whereas this one wears its weirdness very much on its sleeve i think the, the thing that sprung to mind but i don't really think it's, it's as close but just from a tonal point of view of uh like, like quite a family friendly kind of film which doesn't pull its punches because this is quite a visceral film as well um love and monsters that was released a couple of years back oh was, with that bloke yeah, with the bloke. Yeah, we know Dylan. 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 Son of a bitch. CIA's got, CIA's got him pushing pencils. Yeah, I yeah, get what you're Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that kind of... They don't... Uh, now, age myself immediately. They don't make them like they used to, but there's... There seemed to become a time when, they, when children weren't trusted to face fears as such. Uh, the films that we grew up with were a bit more. I mean, the fact that you like the, the fact that I mentioned like the Men in Black cartoon, the fact that you had like RoboCop cartoons. Robo-Cop. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, there was a Terminator, Terminator video games and stuff like that, but they were all aimed squarely at kids. There, there doesn't seem to be that level of or of synergy or 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 a trust from a narrative point of view that oh a kid can handle this. Um, I think the last one I can remember think, watching like which was a, a kids film which had that level of peril that we grew up with was the Spiderwick Chronicles with the 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 the, the final the kind of twist in the in the final act of that film i remember kind of going oh and and i think the fact that it made me react that way just goes to show how long there had been before that where sheer horror had been removed from the family film genre because i do think men in black is a family film we, we certainly live in a more sanitized world now i think yeah. uh, and maybe maybe the argument for better or for worse is you know that's up, up in the air isn't it uh, but uh but I definitely think that, like, when I was a kid watching Aliens, you know, like, mm. but, like, we definitely shouldn't be shouldn't be watching that when we were kids, you know. And, and I, I think that kind of it shaped so much of what I like. Um, I, one of the things I was going to say that jumped to mind, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but the the new Guardians of the Galaxy has all that. Uh, the, the, there's a massive controversy about all the animal abuse in, yeah. in, in uh, it's, the it's, film. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. Yeah, like, so so I hear, and I, I, that's what's kind of kept me off watching it really because uh I, that's something close to home for me and uh yeah i i just i find that that that, that was the, the i i would normally completely agree but that uh in, in terms of they're not really being that many kids are treated like kids not not kind of young adults anymore uh i guess um there's not and... that gateway anymore it's it's always no. it seems to be at the moment it's pixar or it's hyper-violent Marvel films, and there's nothing really in between to bridge that. So if you, I see a common complaint, especially from actually from film from film critics on social media, of them complaining that their seven, eight-year-olds are in this awkward period where they don't really want to go and watch Puss in Boots, even though it was great, I may add, having taken Brody, I had a great time with it. Um, but they also don't want to expose them to Transformers, where robots are having their heads ripped off and robot spines yeah. being taken out and things like that. I, as a parent, I can kind of see maybe where you want to find that even balance. The balance. Like, let me, yeah, listen, let me ease him into it, as opposed to me, who was exposed to killer clowns from outer space at like five years old yeah. and things like that, because I was <laughs> yeah. the youngest of three. <laughs> and look how well adjusted he turned out. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would say there is a, actually the Jungle Cruise film with The Rock and Emily Blunt is. I don't know. Did you ever see it? Yeah, it wasn't no. great. There's there's some genuine threat and menace to that. I've actually because I went and just checked while you were talking. I looked at my review and I remember it being something that had a bit of something, you know, a bit of bite about it for a kids mm. film. You know, obviously not terrifying for hardened horror vets like ourselves, but. For a little kid to come along that isn't necessarily a robot getting, you know, split mouth to anus by a sword, um, a, an alternative that exists. But I'm certainly I remember in the 80s and the early 90s where you could ring Freddy Krueger up and he would tell you a scary story yeah. at the cost of three pound a minute. And uh, <laughs> my, my mother's chagrin. Um, the record. But, you know, <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, there is definitely a sanitization in, in media. And I worry about what that will do for kids in the future, whether they'll have the coping skills to deal with things that come along in life that are a bit scarier if they haven't had those kind of experiences as a young kid growing up. But at the same time, it is quite nice to not subject children to really, you know, mean and horrible shit if you can help it. I think that's the key word, to be honest, is mean. Um, It's about finding that balance between genuine threat and something just getting, as you say, mean for the sake of it, like getting a bit hyper violent with it um and i feel like some of the some of the films that 
kids have the option of watching sometimes veer a bit too far into that because you've got ultimately probably part of our generation's fault because most of these people making these films are from our generation now so like oh yeah this is totally fine because i watched aliens when i was six so i'll absolutely have an animatronic gorilla rip uh rip rip the spine out of an auto out out of an autobot's back and it will be totally fine because i handled it but as I say, times have completely changed and times have been sanitised. And it's even to the point of not even just focusing on kids, even with adults, the argument at the moment now where there seems to be a whole swathe of people going, I don't like sex in cinema. I don't like sex scenes. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. like I any kind of it. intimacy. I love uh, it. <laughs> oh, I know you do, Bradley. He, put, he, puts, he puts the D in R-I-P-D. And I, put, I fill the P with my D. Oh, uh, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, like on on, on that end, I think that like uh, the, the the frustrating thing is just when it feels like we're treating kids like idiots, and uh, and that that's you know, talking to, like and and, and creating media that talks down to kids, especially mm. like when, when you're actual children, when you're, when you're tiny kids. Of course, you should be treated like a child, but like I I don't think that I think we were lucky, perhaps being the age we are, that we we grew up at a time where they. Where that stuff was just kind of there. My older cousin was giving me lending me films when I was little. You know, like I, I think being exposed to that stuff is good. I think, uh, like, I mean, there's levels to this. But when you go and see Men in Black, because obviously that's uh, we're linking back to the, 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 the I love it. topic. I'm glad, yes, I'm glad uh, one of us is doing it. It's totally done. I'm a season five. Uh, but yeah, like when I when I went to see Men in Black, my dad could go and watch Men in Black with me and not feel like he's watching something mind-numbingly stupid. Like, there, there's, there's something for him as well. There's, there, 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 I think with these films, that, that's maybe something we're lacking these days, is uh, not being spoken down to and, and having a little something for everyone. I do think it's the sort of thing that Pixar kind of do quite well sometimes, though. When you go and see a film like Up, like Up, that, I won't watch the beginning of Up now. You know, like, uh, like it, it's so traumatic. And, it, and it, that's a great, I, a great example of a film that I think is good for kids to watch because it mm. teaches, teaches them about coping about the most scary thing of all, death, you know, yeah. and uh, and that a heartbreaking moment and then gets into the, the, the fun of the film after that. But yeah, uh, yeah it, I, think that, I think it's good to have those well. Oh, God, yeah. Inside out, just um, being able to cope with your emotions. I mean, God, God knows, don't we have a lot of those at the moment? <laughs> but like, as a kid, where you, you're trying to figure yourself out anyway, having something like that, hold your hand a little bit along the way but you, you you nailed it it's about not talking down to kids it's why i can't stand the despicable me franchise because i feel like the, the creators of that are like just have the yellow thing say banana the kids will love it and you're like no I, I i'm a firm believer that the media that children consume up to a certain age should consistently be educational in some way shape or form often emotionally don't just say the banana and then that's it and then say oh that that like, will do. My dad really likes the Despicable Me films. Just thought that you know. <laughs> I do. I take him to. I took him to the premiere of the last one. Jesus Christ! <laughs> As a little treat, he's been good. Well, and you want right. to get him on the podcast? He's he's at an age. You're where, so funny, man. He's at an age where so he funny. can appreciate the banana. He all he wants at that point is banana. His brain's fully formed at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's on the it's on the retrograde, unfortunately, my father. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, we've kept you long enough, Will. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, obviously, all you listeners here, thanks for coming and checking out this podcast because Will's on it. That's really nice of you to do that for us. Obviously, if you've never listened to Creeper before, where have you been? Their new album, Sanguivore, out now and is an absolute bloody banger. 
uh, for fans of forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone had to say it. Yeah. Die, die, <laughs> die. Is. I can't. Someone made my dream come true and <laughs> it turned it was a Dracula musical into reality. In my exact kind of music. <laughs> oh, it's happened. Oh, and the world is much better for it. So, Will, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Have you got anything to plug? So we have uh, the, the record coming out October 13th, but I think this will be out after then, is that right? It will, October um, 16th. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and so, so why I see. So after that, we have a tour. We're touring in November across the country uh, with, and the support should be announced then, with Safe Face and the Nightmares from South Wales. Um, and we're playing six shows. It ends in Champions Bush Empire. And I think if it's not already, it was very close to selling out at the moment. So hopefully I'll see some people there. Thank you again so much. Always lovely to see your face. And you're always welcome back in our make-believe video shop to discuss whatever. I, I love it. Thank you. Thank you both for, for having me. And uh, long live Men in Black. Oh, yes. I can now Leave say Men that. in Black. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs>